One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Fast Talk. Street Talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk. Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Online. On DAB Plus. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It's Good Friday. Uh, the Sun in the front page this morning says it's Bad Friday because there's uh, travel hell all over the place. There's misery awaiting you in France uh, and there's gridlock if you stay in the UK. We are here, of course, to offer you an antidote to that because here at the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Easter weekend, we are filled with optimism uh, as ever. We are looking forward rather than looking back. Uh, we are looking into some of the things that are going wrong and we're going to try and fix them between now and one o'clock with the good help of Mr Richard Tice, who joins me. Uh, of course, he's here with us uh, until uh, half past ten and we've got plenty to discuss, including the week that was because, let's face it, at the beginning of this week... Um, Somebody from the SNP hadn't been arrested, uh, but now there has been somebody arrested from the SNP, Peter Murrell. Uh, the police have been crawling all over his house, the one he shares with Nicola Sturgeon, the former First Minister of Scotland. We'll be talking to Alex Salmond coming up later on in the show to find out what the latest is uh, from Holyrood, from the SNP. Alex Massey from The Times has got a piece of the paper today saying they're going to have to completely reinvent themselves because they've now lost their entire credibility and nobody wants independence anymore. So what really is the Scottish National Party for? I don't really know. Meanwhile, Labour are in trouble this morning. They put out a ghastly, horrible uh, tweet and an advert, effectively, uh, attacking Rishi Sunak in the most disgusting way. And if it was the Tories doing it to Labour, they'd be accused, quite frankly, of racism. We'll be talking about that as well. Simon Corner joins us. He'll be down in Dover trying to convince us and everybody else that the reason there's a load of queues is because of Brexit. Uh, I should be disabusing him of that particular notion. Uh, that's about midday as well. Also, we'll be talking about uh, the NHS because they're all on strike as of now, pretty much, because it's Easter weekend, so nobody works for the NHS over bank holiday. And then, come Monday and Tuesday, it's a five-day junior doctor strike, for heaven's sake. What are they playing at? 0344-499-1000 is the number. What else we got going on? Oh, yeah, Joe Biden's coming. I don't think anybody's told him yet. Um, But we'll find out when he's arriving in Belfast a little bit later on next week for the anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. Let's get it on. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. (sighs) I feel better already. The sky is blue. Uh, It's 
it is absolutely off, fantastic. Guess, Good morning. Guess, guess where I'm going? I'm off to France tomorrow. I can't believe it. I mean, it's <laughs> it's only a minute into the show, and I've got yeah. to say, I think you've chosen the wrong destination to go on your holiday. Yeah, well, listen, but I can't believe to it. To be honest, it wasn't my choice. <laughs> the dog made the decision the for us because we decided we're going to take the dog somewhere, and there's not that many places you can take the dog really that you can drive to. So it was either Scotland or France, and you know, it's a sort of uh, I mean, Hobson's talk about, choice. Talk about heading from the furnace into the fire. I mean, what are you going to try and well, do? Sort out all the French what riots? I th- what I thought I could try and do is reclaim the Bayou Tapestry because I'm going to be somewhere near there. Okay. You, know, you can go in there and just, you know, because a bit of it is actually in battle where they had the, the Battle of Hastings, uh, but most of it is in Bayou. Uh, so we could go there and try and sort of smuggle And do back. you think that your new car will make it that far? Well, I'm not, all... uh, I'm not going in my car. Ah, I'm going in oh, another car. Okay. Because I'm... my car's too bijou and small to put, fit everybody in. Um, <laughs> and, and also the dog is not... Is the dog you don't want the dog to mess up the new well, car. Well, no, he's been in the car. He has been in the car. The car but not fine, for men. Although I did give a bit of a scrape, um, which is another story altogether. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, but we'll come back to that. But what a week we've had. It has just been unbelievable. I mean, you've been away, right? Um, where I've were been... you, by the way? Uh, well, I was actually in France. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I walked into that one, didn't you, I? You rather did, yeah, sorry about that. Anyway, um, let's forget about that for the moment, because we'll be talking to Simon Calder, who's gone a bit mad lately. He really uh, has. He keeps banging his drum, because I'm going to be asking you, right, when he was there last weekend and it was all chaotic, why is it not as chaotic this weekend? It was actually a busier weekend for people yep. going away, because if it's surely if it's Brexit to blame, then it'll be worse, won't it? it it's extraordinary. And to a degree, it's. Uh, I do think it is some of the French being bloody-minded, because I was, driving, I was driving across the border mm. from France into Switzerland mm. to get to Geneva Airport, yeah. and you just drive through. Yeah. There's no checks, nothing at all. Right. So why can't they do and the same with And they're a third country, right? And now, I, I raised this, this, this actually came up because somebody rang in to say exactly that, that they often fly to Switzerland, drive into France in a high car, right. and there's no problem at all. Now, I was told that's because of Schengen, which obviously we're not, we were never in, and are still not in, but we could. They could make a similar arrangement. They could make an arrangement if they wanted to, but they don't. That's yeah. the, that's the simple. We also reality had a coach driver on earlier this week who said, "What happens is when you go into the shed where the French sort of border patrols are in Dover." They do one coach at a time, and they do the coach in about five minutes. It doesn't take long. They look at all the passports. It's usually kids. It's fine. Yeah. But then they have a 10 to 12-minute break after each coach. Here's a suggestion. Right. Why not, why not do all of the border checks on the crossing between Dover and Calais? Yeah. Everybody's there. And everybody's checked yeah. in that hour crossing, yeah. and that anybody that doesn't make it, they just catch the ferry back. No, it's just very stay on simple. The ferry. You wouldn't have they just stay yeah. on the ferry. You wouldn't have any cues, any of this nonsense. Right. It's completely ridiculous. It's a deliberate, absurd uh, hindrance yeah. put there to be frankly difficult. Well, it's a combination, I think, of the French being difficult and the port of Dover not being very imaginative. That would be my uh, suggestion. Well, that's it, and that's that's quite possible. Although they say they've sort of prepared for it, but uh, the whole thing is just utterly unnecessary and yeah. incompetent and no doubt Simon will blame Brexit and he's completely wrong but there we are yeah he is now let's talk about uh, the SNP briefly obviously Alex Salmon's coming on a bit later on there's, obviously there's limits to what we can say in terms of the actual investigation um, but what a shocker um, for Scottish politics well, it, it is extraordinary but I think the really in- there's two fascinating things that, that I think could come out of it there are growing calls now for the leadership election to be rerun yes. on the basis that the continuity candidate, many of the people, uh, SNP members, voted uh, before uh, concerns about the size of the membership came out, yeah. obviously before these allegations came out. And so I wonder how much more those calls will grow. I think quite a lot, mm. because it was, the truth is, it was very, very close. 52-48, we've yeah. heard that before. That's the first thing I think is interesting. The second thing is that the big beastie of Scottish politics that is licking his lips mm. is 
your guest later in the show, yeah. Alex Salmon, because yeah. of course he runs the other Independence Party. Yeah. Albert, I think he's uh, must be looking at this and thinking, well, uh, for those of who, who truly believe in independence and uh, and the nationalist cause, then if they're disenchanted with what's going on at the SNP, then Alba is the obvious home for them to go mm. to. Yeah, and, and Alex Massey has written a piece in the Times today more or less saying that the, the, the game is up for the SNP because they're one real kind of solid plank of policy, um, which is independence. They've more or less failed at increasing the public's desire for it. And now they've got no leadership, really, effectively. And, and, and there's a real issue of trust. Mm. Who can trust what in terms of what's being said, what's being reported? And so I, I think the SNP have got a huge, huge credibility problem. Who knows how long this investigation will take, whether yeah. until they uh, arrive at a conclusion or not. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, people will sort of look around. I think they'll look at Alba, uh, look at other parties... Uh, but I think if for the SNP, this literally we could well have seen mm. peak SNP. Yeah, uh, that would actually, of course, be a very, very good thing. I think for the unionist cause. And I think so. You and I are unionists, and we believe we're we're much better as one single United Kingdom. I think so too. And and obviously the, the Labour Party think it may help them, but it may not actually help them because the Labour Party are all over the place, as we've seen. We'll move on to them now. Labour is the party of law and order. Is a tweet the Labour Party put out. I think they put it out sort of last night. But it has upset loads and loads of people, including. Members of their own party, including John McDonnell, um, who, is, who is, uh, has been absolutely turned off and, and reviled by it. Um, the, 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 we're going to show it, I think. We can see it now. Uh, it's a picture of Rishi Sunak. And here's the words. Do you think adults convicted of sexually assaulting children should go to prison? Rishi Sunak doesn't. And then they've got like um, a, a signature by Rishi Sunak. Now, it's very clear what they're trying to do here, it seems to me. It seems to me that what they're trying to do is to link Rishi Sunak as an Asian man uh, of Asian heritage yes. with child sexual assault. Now, that to me is a pretty low, disgusting way to it is, attract this, this, politics. The Labour Party has shown themselves uh, to be quite content to put out vile, abusive, racist tweets. This is, I think, possibly the worst uh, ab- abusive tweet uh, and deliberate, as you say, linking mm. between uh, the grooming gangs that, that have gone on in, in, in towns and cities. Uh, around the UK, disgracefully uh, let to carry on by In the same week that the Grooming Gangs report came out. Absolutely right. right. And, so, and and the fact that the Labour Party haven't realised the error of their ways and they've less, left this tweet up, uh, I just think shows them for what they, they truly are. Uh, they're, they're trying to claim they're the party of law and order, but actually they are breaking racism laws with this well, tweet. I've no I've... doubt whatsoever about it. I think it's utterly appalling. And they should be ashamed of themselves mm. and they should take it down immediately. And I've tweeted that this morning. Yeah. Kevin Maguire, the sort of political head of operations at the Daily Mirror, has said they should take it down and there's no place for gutter politics yeah. uh, in the Labour Party. John McDonnell, as I say, the former shadow chancellor under Jeremy Corbyn, has, has absolutely condemned it. Uh, I think we've seen his tweet as well. Um, I find it extraordinary because can you imagine... Um, uh, if if a, a white prime minister or, or a white leader of the Conservative Party attacked uh, a member of an ethnic minority who happened to be prime minister for the Labour Party, can you imagine what would be being said? <laughs> I mean, you can't imagine. You just know that it would be it would be completely unsustainable. It would be the front page of every single newspaper across the land mm. uh, and all the mainstream broadcasters. Uh, and uh, there doesn't seem to be much uh, reported on it, and by, by some of the other. Uh, you know, ma- mainstream broadcasters, yeah. the BBC seem very quiet on it, etc. But it's, yes. it's 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 just wholly unacceptable. And what on earth Keir Starmer 
as leader of that party thinks he's doing. I think he needs to explain himself. I think he does. We, the Labour Party, are better than this. That's what John McDonnell has said. Um, we've obviously asked the Labour Party if they would put somebody on to explain why uh, they've chosen this particular line of attack. Uh, so far, no, uh, no response. So I mean, we'll imagine, imagine the pile on that I would get if the party that I lead uh, was to put out some form of uh, a tweet yeah. along those lines. You referred to uh, the Conservative Party. Any political party mm. that puts out that at any time uh, rightly should be should be hauled up and told to delete it and apologise yeah. for it. And yet they seem uh, completely unwilling to do this. They seem very comfortable with it, which, I mean, I think in the end they will just have to do it. They will have to do it because they'll have to take it down because it, the pressure will become too much. They, they, uh, they absolutely, uh, they must do, they should do, it should be immediate, and I think they should apologise for mm. it. Uh, but I d- very much I doubt... I think they the should world... personally apologise to Rishi Sunak. Yes, I do. Because but... they're basically accusing him of not wanting to put people who assault children sexually behind bars, which uh, is uh, incorrect apart from anything else. Th- that's right. And uh, as you say, they are trying to, to link his Asian heritage to... Uh, the grooming gangs yeah. that uh, that have have carried out some the subtle message is that, is that uh, he acts in the north of yeah. England in in many towns and tragically is still going on because yeah. of uh, of of incompetence and just a refusal to deal with it. Yeah, but there's no question that yeah, every political party should be focusing on law and order and creating some confidence uh, that you can walk the street safely. Mm. And, and at the moment, we simply haven't got that up yeah. and down the country. No, it's absolutely disgraceful. But we will come back to that, I'm sure, throughout the course of the day here at Talk TV because uh, the Labour Party are right in the firing line. Uh, it is Good Friday. But it's not a very good Friday for them, I'm afraid. Coming up uh, with Richard Tice, we're going to talk about the Stormy Daniels interview last night with Piers Morgan, a fascinating study in whether the woman's telling the truth or not. Uh, also, we'll talk a bit about the NHS and the junior doctor's strike, which is going to kick off at the start of next week, which means basically from now until the end of the week, you probably won't be able to see a doctor at all. This is Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It's Easter weekend. Um, there might, might be a lot of people uh, driving around the country trying to find their way. I saw a great story in the Sun this morning uh, where some people, not exactly sure where, but they've turned their uh, street into a mini golf um, sort of paradise <laughs> using the potholes as holes <laughs> as the holes as the holes for the golf that course. was probably a very big golf course it's probably more than 18 yeah, holes it's, it's probably, probably got is. about 50 yeah, holes it takes a couple of hours to get round a bit like when you're driving uh, <laughs> because you can't drive around anything either. yesterday the traffic was unbelievable people making early getaways anyway so if you are trying to get away anywhere if you are stuck anywhere uh, do let us know and we can tell everybody else but let's talk a bit about what happened last night on Talk TV Richard I saw you over in the TV studios um, earlier on uh, Stormy Daniels uh, did a big long interview with Piers Morgan, uh, trying to kind of convince us all that, you know, she doesn't hate Donald Trump, but, you know, she doesn't want to see him going to prison. But um, one of the interesting facts of the story is that she obviously has been accused of um, breaking the terms of an NDA. He's accused of sending $130,000 into a bank account, whether it was by his lawyer or not. Nobody's quite sure. She signed in 2018. Um, a document in which she said uh, that she did not have an affair with Donald Trump. I think this is an absolutely key thing, and for those watching, it's on the screen now, where she's basically saying there wasn't an affair and uh, that she uh, essentially has has denied everything. And it's her signature. She hasn't denied it's her signature. And this was back in, as you say, 2018. So how not come that this long is, ago. not that long ago? So how come now she's she's essentially claiming that actually it did all happen and that she was treated mm. very badly, 
and that there should be you know, there should be some form of sanction on the former president. Right. It, it's quite extraordinary. It, it really is. And let's have a look um, at this particular clip from last night. Piers Morgan asking her uh, why she signed that document. Right, right. So is this that... is in, in the same month that the story gets reported right. by the Wall Street Journal. You say, to whom it may concern, over the past few weeks I've been asked countless times to comment on reports mm -hmm. of an alleged sexual relationship I had with Donald Trump many, many, many years ago. The fact of the matter is that each party to this alleged affair denied its existence in 2006, 2011, 2016, 2017, and now again in 2018. I'm not denying this affair because I was paid hush money, as has been reported in overseas-owned tabloids. I'm denying this affair because it never happened. I'll have no further comment on this matter. Please feel free to check me out on Instagram. Like I actually wrote Daniels. That. So um, that's, that's the second one. Right, so explain that, to me, though... That's so, the second one. There was one before that. Right, so people point to the contents of this letter mm -hmm. and they say, well, what changed? I mean, you, you couldn't have been more categoric in saying... I was still under the NDA. Michael Cohen wrote that and had me sign it and I didn't want to, which is why I signed my name wrong right before I went on Kimmel and pointed it out. How did you sign your name? It, it, doesn't, look, it doesn't look like my signature. Oh, I see. Yeah. But you were still under the NDA, so you yes. felt that obliged to do this. I was told if I didn't, they'd sue me for the $20 million or whatever it was. So Stormy Daniels says that she didn't sign her own name. Then she says, well, I did sign my own name, I just didn't sign my own signature. I mean, it all sounds a little bit uh, hard to believe, doesn't it? I, I, I think it actually completely undermines the whole story. Mm. You can't sign a document like that, uh, whenever it was, and say... 2018. 2018. I'm not denying the affair because I was paid hush money. Right. She's saying because it never happened. Right. So she's actually saying, I wasn't paid hush money and it never happened. Right. And yet this whole thing is on the basis that hush money was paid, mm. wasn't properly reported, uh, apparently, in right. electoral finances, um, and that there was an affair. So and this, but this is how also... can she... I think it completely undermines the credibility yeah. of anything she says about whatsoever. Yeah. Well, I think if you were a, a, a sort of an analyst of behaviour, you would see in that moment where she says, I didn't sign my own name, and then corrects herself because she realises she did sign her own name. Oh, I didn't sign my, my real signature. I mean, that's like me saying, well, I signed a document, but I made a squiggle instead of my name. You still signed the document. Yeah. You know, a signing of a document. I mean, we all sign these um, electronic documents all the time. It's not necessarily what you might call my own signature, but you've signed a document. I just don't see how she gets away with it. The idea that she says, well, I felt obliged to because the lawyer told me to. Right. She's an adult, right? And she she's consented to sign it. Mm. She signed it, and it couldn't be clearer that mm. document. I, I think it's I think it fatally undermines. Yeah, I think so. The whole thing, but it's extraordinary. Let's also remember that only in the last few days, Donald Trump has won another costs award yeah. against her. He's been awarded another hundred and twenty odd thousand U.S. dollars. Yeah. Uh, which brings the total to some 600,000 yeah, US dollars. Which she says she's not going to pay, and which she's she... never going to pay, and she's going to go to jail. Well, she will go to jail, because I said last night on the talk, the only evidence that we have of any kind of, you know, sort of interplay in the courts is that every time they go to court to prove whether or not she's lying, she loses. And and, and these things seem to get literally laughed out yeah. of court. Yeah. It's, it's very and then bizarre. She, she also, the other bizarre thing she said was that she, at that time, when she signed that piece of paper saying that they didn't have an affair. She says, I was the only person upholding the NDA. Yeah. So she was effectively lying. It seems to me that she is... She's, she's enjoying not a the, credible witness. She's she? not a credible witness. There are actually suggestions she may not even be called as a witness because she's not credible. That would be quite telling. 
but she's enjoying the limelight and uh, maybe she will do just whatever it takes to earn some uh, earn some money. And, and I mean, she is, I mean, as much as Donald Trump is making uh, more money for his campaign as a result of this court case, she's also raking in the, the, the profits because loads more people are, are accessing her, shall we say, a rather interesting back catalogue uh, of <laughs> movies that she's been in um, over the course of years because she's been doing it for quite a while. Beautifully put. Thank you very much indeed. Um, so Stormy Daniels' interview with Piers Morgan, you can see it again tonight if you missed it last night, nine o'clock. Don't forget, Plank of the Week at seven, Nadine Dorries at eight, uh, Piers Morgan at nine. What more could you want uh, from a Friday night's entertainment on Good Friday? Unless you're still stuck at Dover, of course, which we'll be talking about. And let's, um, let's hope you're not stuck at an uh, A&E war, well, because there's not much chance well, of getting... Well, the front page of the Times today has got a story which says, basically, the A&E departments of this country are going to be completely and utterly swamped and overwhelmed next week, because half of doctors will be missing. And it's a four-day strike. So let's not forget, I walk past, as I always do on a bank holiday, because I generally work bank holidays... Um, the, the whole guy's hospital scenario completely deserted, right? There's a couple of ambulances sort of sitting outside yeah. um, one of the one of the doors. Um, but there's very few people around because at the weekends and at bank holidays, nobody works, right? Come Tuesday, when they're all supposed to go back, that's the strike. Tuesday, it's Wednesday, Thursday, so You've actually basically got an eight or nine day, ten day period of coming over one very long weekend. Then you've got four days of strikes yeah. from Tuesday to Friday. Then you've got another weekend. Very little happens in NHS hospitals by way of operations at yeah. the weekend or a long weekend. So you've got nine or ten yeah. days where basically there's going to be almost no, opera very, very few operations, much fewer than mm. normal. And so, yeah, I'm afraid the, the simple answer is, um, as you've chosen to do, go to France or yeah. don't get ill. Right. Don't need an operation because well, it's, I mean, it's a saw, very bad place I to be in. I think it was last weekend in the Sunday Times, a piece written about the effect that the last lot of strikes had on uh, the junior doctors on, on the population. And hundreds of thousands of people were not able to access treatment that they were supposed to have. Loads and loads of uh, operations cancelled. You know, thousands and thousands of people um, still waiting for treatment, having been waiting already a year or something. And then they get told, oh, sorry, we can't see you this week because we're on strike. And there's a there's an extraordinary article, if you can access it, do read it by Alison Pearson mm. in today's Telegraph, where she talks about uh, the ongoing failings of uh, junior doctors and, and the broader NHS yeah. itself. She says that doctors should be ashamed of themselves. They and really she also should. actually cites the examples of how they're now fiddling the waiting lists to keep the numbers below 12 months waiting. Mm. That if you get near your 12 months wait, they basically put you on a new waiting list. Yeah for another 12 months and take you off right. the old one. And that's how they keep the numbers below. Uh, they keep the numbers down yeah. for those who've been waiting and, longer than 12 months. That there's, there's a secondary um, list of people, because I think we've got 7 million waiting on the premium list. But there's another 10 million waiting who have been seen once, but are waiting for a second consultation. That's right. And that's supposed to be 10 million. So you're talking about 17 odd million people, which is a very large chunk of the population. It, it, the, the, the whole thing is, is, is in absolute chaos. Mm. And it does feel as though it's just breaking down. Mm. And it's now, it's interesting also how very few people talk about our NHS now. It's all about the broken NHS, yeah. how quickly that's gone mm. uh, post-COVID. And, and the reality is that I, I think the NHS broke itself. I do, And I, I think agree. the, the behaviour of uh, the unions, uh, some of the, the sort of the agitators uh, and, and the failings of management within the NHS, they have broken mm. itself. It's not a lack of money. Uh, they've got no shortage of money. Uh, they're, they're well in line with European averages per, per head per yeah. spending per annum. It's just an utter failure mm. of management at multiple levels. It really is. And, uh, and sadly, it's, it's, it's ordinary people that are suffering, genuinely suffering, huge delays, extra pain. 
uh, all because of uh, the consequences of this. Yeah, absolutely staggering. Um, you're back on Sunday. I'm back on in Sunday. Your place. With, yes, and of course, a Sunday sermon yes. on Easter Day. And my big question, start to think about it now. What would you like to resurrect? That is my question of the day on Sunday. <laughs> what should be resurrected? Maybe we should dig up Jeremy Corbyn and bring him back. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't as horrible about Rishi Sunak as uh, Keir Starmer has been. Absolutely disgraceful. Uh, Richard Tice back on Sunday at 10 o'clock. There might be a mention of smart motorways there as well. Uh, coming up, we're going to find out why the NHS is in trouble. One of the reasons is they keep trying to find more doctors abroad than they want to train at home. Why? This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. They call it Bad Friday on the front page of the Sun. I call it Good Friday. Uh, nothing against the Sun, of course. But, you know, let's be as optimistic as we can possibly be. I mean, unfortunately, though, uh, you can't really get a train from Euston because that's apparently closed. I came past my local tube station this morning and that was closed. I don't know whether there's some kind of strike on. Apparently there isn't, uh, but there's a, re- there's a bus service apparently running between Milton Keynes and London. So if you're trying to go north or you're trying to come south, that could be a problem. Uh, if you're trying to get away from Dover at the ferry port, uh, that might be a problem for you as well. We'll be going down there live with Simon Corder. We'll find out from him uh, just exactly how bad it is this weekend. Last weekend, people were sitting there waiting for 15 hours. Um, also, of course, uh, there are some delays uh, at, Channel, at Channel 5? No, Terminal five uh, where apparently there's a bit of a work to rule going on with british airways so they're cancelling a few flights but anyway here we are it's easter weekend uh try and be as cheery as you possibly can be uh, there's plenty of good reasons for that uh, we'll be playing you some more clips from the stormy daniels interview coming up a little bit later on but right now let's continue our conversation um about the nhs because um having just spoken to richard tice there about the waiting list times and how awful uh, they really are uh, we've got a new report here in front of us uh, from migration watch uk who have asked the question how can the UK stop relying on overseas doctors? So let's talk now to Jeremy Hutton from Migration Watch. Uh, this is new research. Uh, let's find out why the UK is so reliant on foreign doctors. Jeremy, very good morning to you. Happy uh, Easter to you. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Happy Easter to you as well. Yeah, thanks very much indeed. You know, we hear so many myths about the NHS because there's so much nonsense talked about it and why think parts of it don't work, why they don't have enough staff here, why they don't have train enough staff there. What have you found and what was the, the reason for you getting into this study in the first place? We found that increasingly the doctors joining the NHS are, are coming from overseas. So we're not training enough doctors in the UK. And now it seems that the actual amount of medical trainees being taken on every year at English universities, sorry, British universities, is outnumbered by the number of foreign doctors that are recruited every year just in in the nhs england as um health and community care doctors right if you include um all doctors on the um the medical registry it's likely that it's already over half uh, maybe up to, to as high as 60 percent and what's the reason for their reliance on foreign doctors is it because it's cheaper because we hear this from the BMA. My understanding is that the BMA, the British Medical Association, which is a union of doctors, really, in all but name, um, has sort of put a, a limit, uh, a ceiling, if you like, on the numbers of, of, of doctors that can be trained in Britain. For example, they don't offer, some people say, enough places at medical school, and they've got a kind of cap on that. Is there a reason why? Is it because they think it's too expensive to train doctors or what? Well, it is indeed extremely expensive to train a, a doctor, I think, um off the top of my head, the figure excluding student loans is about 100. Um, no, sorry, I, I blanked to, <laughs> to, to that figure. But it's it's a lot of money, and mm. training the amount of doctors we do every year costs billions of pounds. Right. So to increase the numbers of doctors we train will be very expensive. However, it's also the case that other countries seem to do it a lot cheaper. Maybe because um, 
That's how things often work in other countries with exchange rates and that sort of thing. Um, there are some people who think that the reason there's a limit is because doctors lobby for a continued limit. Yeah. However, there's all sorts of different things within within a doctor's career cycle that might encourage them to maybe even leave the workforce early or right. emigrate to another country themselves where they'll get a better better work-life balance and maybe better wages. There's all sorts of reasons why people don't see out their career in the NHS. And then at the very beginning, we're, just, we're simply not training us to deal yeah. with a growing population, which is largely driven by immigration. Yeah. And this is the other problem, though, of course, that a lot of people who train to be doctors in this country uh, then go into work for the NHS for a while, but then go private. And then so suddenly it's a bit like, you know, uh, if you go and become a fighter pilot for the RAF, it's a bit like, you know, um, in the first week after you've been trained, you disappear off and go and uh, fly planes for the Americans or something. You know, there has to be probably a better way of retaining the people who we've trained, it seems to me, in the NHS. I've always had a problem in the past with, with the ability of doctors to work in both the NHS and in private care, because it seems to me that you're not really fulfilling your proper duty, are you? Yeah, I mean, it does seem that that has been a trend in the past of people you know, getting the qualification, enjoying the uh, government subsidy on their training, which, as I've said, is quite substantial, and then going for greener pastures. However, in to, to be fair to those doctors, it is a very difficult job, and they're under a lot of pressure. And the more doctors that, say, leave leave the NHS early, that actually increases the burden on those that remain, mm. and thus increases the, the drain of these good doctors to other, other lines of work or other um, forms of employment. Right. I mean, I'm told that the funding cap on government-funded medical training places uh, is around about the cost of £165,000 each. That excludes student loans. Um, but they say the numbers of people are capped in order to maintain high standards. But, of course, as you say, if there's not enough doctors because of the fact that there's a cap on the numbers being trained, then the ones who are trained are going to be working under worse conditions, aren't they? Absolutely. So uh, that, that, that was the argument that James Cleverly made a few years ago when he was the education secretary. Right. It later came out in the interview that it was, in fact, about the money. Yeah. And there's no shortage whatsoever of people who want to be doctors and have the skills required. I mean, one MP pointed out that there's more, more those, most of the doctors coming to the UK from Bulgaria aren't actually Bulgarian. They're British people who just got trained in Bulgaria because right. they couldn't get trained in the UK because of this ridiculous cap. Right. It's but do they get counted as foreign thing. doctors then? They would in, under the general medical registry, yes. Right. So when we see um, figures which say something like um, 46% of doctors joining the NHS in 2022 were foreign nationals, I mean, that wouldn't include them, would it? Uh, so so that's there's two different sorts of figures. There's This is NHS data, which is all by nationality. Right. The alternative set of figures that often gets used is the general medical registration registration registratory. Right. which um, uses the country where they gain their qualifications. So I prefer this data because it means that the people we're talking about are definitely British nationals or not British nationals, right. whilst the other stuff is a little bit more uncertain. One that I find interesting as a statistic is this one, healthcare visas, uh, which says uh, issued for all medical and care occupations, including dependents, represented almost 90% of all long-term sponsored work visas granted in 2022. And over half of all work visas, we're not considering dependents. So, so when people tell me, oh, we haven't got enough uh, foreign doctors and we haven't got enough uh, workers in the NHS because of Brexit, that doesn't sound right at all. No, absolutely not. It's purely a failure to train. And this is extended to uh, nurse training as well, as we showed in the past. But the, the doctor training is a far more egregious thing because the, the amount of foreign doctors is just 
so massive compared to the number of UK students. Right. And I know that you probably may not have figures on this, but what about people coming here to train as doctors from overseas? Is that something that happens? Um, you know, would, be, would we be having medical students here from uh, other nationalities? Yes, we do include that in the report. It is quite a small proportion of the total, a few hundred every year. However, it, what that proves is that the total medical training capacity in the UK mm. is not being used to its full extent for British students. Right. So if the government simply wanted to use up total medical training capacity in, up to the levels that were being trained uh, one or two years ago, then we'd have at least 1,500 more people being trained as doctors in the UK per year that were British. Hmm. And that would absolutely feed through, presumably, into uh, the workforce and into the hospitals of this nation, which are currently understaffed. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So a bit more sort of hypocrisy for the people that run the NHS, really, isn't it? Well, it's a very interesting report. Can people get their hands on it if they wish to, Jeremy? Yep, it's on our website. It was also um, in the Times this morning on page four. So um, maybe pick up a copy and give it a read. OK, excellent. Always a good idea to buy the Times. Jeremy, thank you very much indeed. That's Jeremy Hutton there from Migration Watch UK. See, one of the myths that we're always given by the NHS and certainly by the unions is that the government is to blame for the fact that there aren't enough doctors being trained and that the government is to blame for the fact that there aren't enough medical um people working in the NHS, when in fact it's really down to the British Medical Association, which is the uh, overarching union of doctors. These are the people that are calling all the strikes. These are the people that say the conditions are terrible. These are the people who say that there aren't enough doctors. But these are also the people who refuse to allow more doctors to be trained. So pretty much it's their fault, isn't it? And if we are uh, supposedly uh, isolationist over here now because we've left the European Union and the Ramonas are always going on about how dreadful it all is because now nobody wants to work here. Well, that doesn't turn out to be true either. How extraordinary that all of these myths about Brexit turn out to be just that. Complete and utter falsehoods, right? Healthcare visas, listen to this, issued for all medical and care occupations, which include dependents, represent 90% of all long-term sponsored work visas granted in 2022. What does that tell you? That tells you that there's loads of people coming here from overseas who want to work in the NHS. And the reason that they're coming here is because there are so many vacancies. And the reason there are so many vacancies is because the British Medical Association doesn't want to train more doctors because they want to keep the number of doctors in Britain down so that they can complain about it and so that they can make more money. It's that simple. And this week, they're going on strike. Marvellous, isn't it? This is Talk TV. Edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk. Mike Graham, the only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, it is Good Friday. Uh, some people might call it the Long Good Friday. Um, it's going to be a very long Friday if you happen to be at Dover because uh, you'll be waiting to get through uh, the old French checkpoints before you can get on the ferry. Uh, Richard Tice was here earlier. We said, um, you know, the problem with this is that everyone keeps saying it's all to do with Brexit. And of course, uh, while Brexit may be a very small factor, it's the French recalcitrance, you'd have to say, uh, together with the fact that the port of Dover doesn't seem to be run terribly well, uh, like an awful lot of other things 
colleagues in this country, but we shall see. If you happen to be down there, uh, look out for yourself being on television because Simon Calder is going to be reporting in from Dover very shortly to tell us exactly how the queues are going. It is supposed to be a very busy day for travelling. If you are travelling around and you are encountering difficulties, by all means get in touch with us and we can tell everybody else. Coming up in this hour, though, and coming next, Alex Salmon, uh, the former First Minister of Scotland, of course, uh, and now leader of the Alba Party. Uh, he's going to tell us what he finds out uh, this is the latest from the uh, rather strange and unusual week that Scottish politics has had, uh, kicking off with the arrest of Peter Murrell, the former Chief Executive Officer uh, of uh, the SNP. The Scottish National Party is now said to be all out of ideas. Alex Massey writing in the Times this morning um, that it was a rather bizarre mixture of Taggart and what he's calling CSI Uddingston. Uddingston being a suburb of Glasgow where uh, Nicola Sturgeon and Peter Murrell shared a home, which was being searched, uh, I think, up until quite late last night. I think they might have finished that now, but let's find out from Alex Salmon precisely what he knows and what's going on. Alex, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Happy Good Friday. Yes. Well, it is a nice Easter, isn't it? It brings... um... Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Together, the, ter- the terms that we all think of as the, the crucifixion and the resurrection uh, all in one go. We don't know quite yet who's been crucified uh, and we don't yet know who's going to be resurrected on Sunday. But uh, it's got a certain biblical feel to it, all this, hasn't it? Well, it certainly has, including the exodus or the attempted exodus at Dover. I mean, I, I loved your remark about uh, England being a country you can get in without a passport, but you can't get out with one. <laughs> it's true. I know. Well, small consolation to these poor folk at Dover waiting mm. you know, multiple hours to, to, to get on their Easter break. Yes. But, 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 you have to see the irony in all this. I mean, there really is. There's so much of it going on that you, it's just. It's, I mean, people have said that the irony and and sort of sarcasm and and parody is all now dead because you literally couldn't make it up. And in fact, on April Fool's Day, I saw that up in Scotland, people were saying, "Well, the sort of stuff that's actually going on here is so bizarre that you can't put April Fool's stories in the paper anymore because they're not as good as the real ones." <laughs> but listen, I heard you talking uh, last week when you had your own show here on uh, on Talk TV about the whole idea of Alba uh, and the whole idea of independence. And, and people are saying that independence is, uh, is now a sort of a, a long forgotten dream. According to Alex Massey, and I know you'll correct me on this, YouGov say uh, that in 10 years time, would this country be independent? Only 30% foresaw that. 52% thought the constitutional status quo is more likely. And even on a 50-year time scale, only 45% of respondents um, thought independence more likely than not. Yeah, but you would expect, uh, being London-centric journalists like Alec Massey, I mean, poor Alec, you know, if the SNP or independence were to die, what on earth would he have to write about? <laughs> I mean, even in vested interest terms, Alec Massey should be desperately trying to keep the independence flame burning. The, the, the point I was making, and I think even Alec makes it himself in that column, is that we're seeing a, a development, a really interesting development. We're seeing many interesting developments, but we're seeing politically an interesting development 
where the last five opinion polls have shown the SNP support basically struggling, yeah. moving down towards where the Labour Party is. But support for independence is very, very high indeed. I mean, it's 47% on average in the last five polls. Uh, and so, I mean, for example, I did a, a public meeting because, you know, we do public meetings. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah Nicola Sturgeon just, just dodged one, isn't she? Well, we did a public meeting in the Eagle Inn at Coat Bridge last night, which was stowed to the gunnels. Excellent. I mean, it was overflowing. There was overflow rooms about independence. But incidentally, Mike, they, they all asked to be fondly remembered to you from your, <laughs> your day editing well, from the, the mirror. Well, I've got many friends in the Shire, as it's known. You, know, you put the mirror to bed and then you go for a, a half and a half in Eagle Inn and Coat Bridge. I, I heard all about it last night. <laughs> but Excellent. There's enthusiasm for independence, even as the... SMP goes through its uh, trials and tribulations. So is it now time then to separate the SNP from independence, which would which would be rather... I mean, everyone's saying this is playing into your hands and that you're the man now uh, who could take it forward because, let's face it, the questions that are now being asked, and we obviously we can't go into the ins and outs of what the police are doing and what they're looking at and what they've found, but what we can say um, is that many people, including Alex Neil, have said that surely the leadership now of the SNP is in question because had all of this happened before Hamza Yusuf was anointed the leader, uh, he probably wouldn't be the leader. Yeah, well, let, let's address both of these points. I mean, not, not just myself, but I've been a, a, a number of other people and organisations apart from the Alpha Party who now have a, a very important role to play in bringing the independence movement together out with the... Uh, the, the terms of the, the Scottish uh, Green government, hmm. uh, you know, an independence convention, but obviously the SNP would participate, would be the dominant force, but would include the uh, the other parties and the other organisations and the think tanks. So, and let the business of progressing the independence campaign be run by the independence convention and let the SNP government get back to the rather important business of running Scotland competently and efficiently. That would be a, a good way to go. Secondly, you ask about, I mean, a number of supporters of Kate Forbes uh, in the papers today saying, look, there should be a rerun of mm. the leadership test. And of course, they've got a very strong argument. And the argument is precisely because the SNP executive, advised by one Peter Murrow, accelerated the timescale for the leadership election beyond what it usually is. Mm. And I mean, people like Alec Neil and Kate Forbes are all I know are entitled to the suspicion that it was all rushed through before the before, yeah. before yes. the fell. Well, indeed. And I mean, um, uh, poor old Hamza Youssef has inherited the good old poison chalice, hasn't he? Because, you know, no sooner is he installed as leader that, that the police are all over the SNP headquarters running around, uh, you know, digging around underneath the chairs. And then he says that anyone who suggests that the police and the SNP were somehow in cahoots, uh, in his words, uh, is a conspiracy theory. Well, I'm sorry to tell him it's not a conspiracy theory. It's a perfectly logically held belief. Yes, and of course held by a large number of people in the SNP, yeah. perhaps most of the 48% who, <laughs> who voted for Kate Forbes and right. Ash Reagan, the right. two But, you know, I mean, I, I, do, I don't envy Hamza the task he now has in hand. But I think last time I was on your show, I, I gave him some advice, totally unsolicited and yeah. unwanted, and certainly didn't act upon it. I said, well, now you're in. For goodness sake, get the drawbridge down, make a clear demarcation between your leadership and yes. what has gone on before, reunite the party, get Kate Forbes and Ash Reagan into your cabinet, unite the party and make sure everybody knows you're not the continuity candidate. Now, unfortunately, Hamza last week, and it's only last week the poor man was installed, 
it shows the opposite. It has formed a cabinet of his chums, mm. um, to use the phrase that John Major once unfortunately used. Or maybe, it was, maybe it was David Mellor used about John John Major. That didn't turn out well. No. A cabinet of chums doesn't turn out well. It doesn't unite the party. And instead of, you know, what well, I'm in the northeast of Scotland this time, Mike, what we'd say is what's required is to muck out the buyer. Right. Instead of cleaning stables, cleaning house, yes. he sort of uh, we're going to have a look at uh, transparency in the SNP at some time, somewhere, some when. I mean, total nonsense. I mean, he had the opportunity. And I know it's difficult when you come in as leader because all sorts of things are happening. There's issues on your desk. You feel you've got to run around the country um, in a frantic manner trying to establish your presence, all that stuff. The most important thing for him to do last week was to keep, get that clear demarcation line from what has been and what would happen under his leadership in the United Party. Unfortunately, he did neither of them. Yes. Well, it might be nice as well if he was to make some kind of statement as to the policy uh, decisions he's likely to take and the direction he wants to take the party. And I've heard nothing on that front either. But maybe it's not helped by the media in Scotland, of, of which I used to be a rather irritant part. Um, I'm just looking at the English BBC... member you were, Mike, revered <laughs> by your colleagues and even your opponents. Says, revered by your opponents. I'm not about sure revered, revered but your... they certainly didn't like me very much. But, but listen, uh, the Scotland page of the BBC website I'm looking at, the top story is tick germ risk should be mapped, according to a GP. They're talking about Lyme disease, which of course is quite an important story, but you would think in the midst of what is probably the biggest political crisis that has ever faced you know, a devolved Scotland, that they might have a couple of stories about what's going on. Well, you know, I'm afraid that the BBC and the uh, Inquisitive journalism, or even balanced journalism, are strangers these days. Yeah. And, and I mean, they always claim that you know it's lack of resources that they don't have the people available to to go about finding the stories. And with a few honourable exceptions, and we both know there are honourable exceptions there are. to this. Yeah, double the investigative teams. You know, they don't. They, all they do is regurgitate the press releases and often fawn to the politicians instead of doing things properly. Lyme disease is a big issue, Mike. Incidentally. Uh, and it's something that deserves investigation and deserves to be properly addressed. Mm. But perhaps uh, it wouldn't be the lead story uh, today. Right. Uh, you would and, uh, think. And maybe not tomorrow either. I mean, well, I mean, here's an opportunity for Hamza Yusuf to do something. Not that we, you and I should be in any way helping this guy to, to make well, a name for himself. Last time. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, but the, the, the Labour Party poster, I don't know if you've seen this today, the Labour Party have put out um, a tweet which went out last night which I think is one of the most disgraceful things I've ever seen, and, and we've been around a long time, you and I. Picture of Rishi Sunak, and the words say, do you think adults convicted of sexually assaulting children should go to prison? Rishi Sunak doesn't. And they've got a signature of Rishi Sunak underneath. And it's very clear what they're trying to do. It's very clear what they're trying to say. John McDonnell has said it's not what the Labour yeah, Party I, I, should stand for. I think it's a disgrace. What do you reckon? I agree with John McDonnell. Uh, and, I mean, you know, the... You know, show the Labour Party a belt and they'll hit below it, or at least try to. And the yeah. Tory Party aren't any better, as we as we're well aware, Mike. Listen, all I'd say to you know the SNP, the Labour Party, the Tory Party, the one dominant issue that people want to hear about is cost of living, and not just cost of living and saying, "Oh dear, we'll give you a few hundred quid to help with your spiralling electricity bills." I mean, cost of living as it's really affecting real people, but interest rates totally out of control, wrecking families, wrecking family finances, wrecking small businesses, uh, and nobody seemed to want to talk about that, mm. as if th there's no alternative uh, to continue to hike interest rates and, and wipe people out of business. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's totally and utterly ridiculous. I mean, political parties, I mean, 
who was it? Was it Clinton's campaign? No, it's the economy stupid. Right, quite apart from the bad taste uh, of, of that uh, advert, mm. uh, somebody should get into Labour HQ and indeed into Downing Street uh, and look at them and say, look, it's the economy stupid. Bring forward your ideas to stop wrecking family finances and wrecking small businesses. That's what matters. That's the issue in which politicians should be judged and, and give, a, give up the rest of the stuff. Mm. I mean, it's... Uh, I mean, whoever, I mean, I, I saw one of the shadow ministers, I don't, I, don't, I don't recall her name, unfortunately, but she was trying to defend it. And what she said, the first word she said was, of course, I, I didn't draw up this advert. Right. And then she wanted to defend it. I mean, the clue is in the first words. Yeah. It is indefensible. Yes. And they should take it down. They probably will. But like everything to do with Keir Starmer, it takes him at least 24 hours to 48 hours to flip flop. Um, on any position, uh, we expect him to do it probably by uh, the time that the resurrection uh, happens around about sort of Sunday afternoon. Well, Keir Starmer's the great hope of the independence movement this time. I mean, he's announced that uh, sensing opportunity is going to come up to Scotland on a weekly basis. Nothing could reinforce the case for independence more than the appearance of Sir Keir yes. on a weekly basis. Well, there's a never-ending stream of the delusion from Westminster, isn't there? They always think, and we used to have the same problem in Scotland, I don't wish to pour scorn on my colleagues in London when I was in Scotland, but they always seem to think that, oh, things will get better if I come up there and help you out. And you go, actually, no, we don't want you up here. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know the difference between the M8 and the M9. You know, just stay down there and get the tube somewhere. Well, they almost, they almost won the, the referendum campaign for me back in 2014. If you remember, the, the whole phalanx of... Uh, Labour and MPs from London came up to campaign with the Tories uh, against a, a yes vote for independence. The, the three leaders suspended Prime Minister's questions, the three amigos, and came up to Scotland in separate jets, not very environmental that, no. uh, to campaign against independence. And one guy uh, who was on a kind of tricycle made the fools of the lot of them by uh, playing the Imperial Masters tune from Star Wars. What <laughs> 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 people saw was this phalanx of London politicians with the, the, the theme from yeah. the Imperial of I mean, Star Wars, the background of Darth Vader would have done better for the <laughs> no campaign than that bunch. Exactly right. I mean, the Death Star and all that. But let, finally, let me ask you a question. I mean, you, uh, I asked you this last time we spoke, you and Nicola were very close at one time. She was your protégé. She took over the SNP when you took a step back. Um, what would you advise her to do um, if you were able to? And what would you advise Humza Yusuf to do? Should he rerun the election, do you think? Well, I was asked you know, a million times this week, you know, are you feeling happy or vindicated? And of course, I'd be less than human if there wasn't a wee bit of me said, you know, what goes around comes around. But, but my overwhelming feeling is sadness mm. because, you know, I spent 45 years on the SNP. Yeah. I spent 20 years as leader. I mean, me and others, many others, built up from nothing to be the, the dominant mm. party of Scotland. And, you know, whether people liked us or loved us, whether they thought we were the, the best thing since sliced bread or, or the worst thing imaginable, you know, whether we were rubbish or not, but most people reckoned that the SNP were a decent party uh, and, and were pursuing a noble idea, yeah. whatever they thought about us. Yeah, and, definitely. You know, that trashed uh, over the last wee while, is, you know, the overwhelming feeling I've got is one of sadness. Mm. Now, what I suggest to Hamza Yusuf is to recognise that. Recognise the problem of being the continuity candidate. For goodness sake, get a drawbridge between what you're doing and what has happened in the past. Change direction, ditch the Greens, invite your opponents in the SNP into key positions in your cabinet, get your party back together, and above all, 
have the humility to extend the hand of friendship to the rest of the independence movement. If he's prepared to do that, he might be surprised by the generosity mm. of the response. Indeed. Well, have a lovely Easter weekend, Alex. Thanks very much for talking to us. Alex Salmon, uh, former First Minister of Scotland, leader of the Albert Party, with some wise words there for uh, Hamza Youssef, the new First Minister of Scotland, the new leader of the SNP, which has been described this morning in The Times uh, as right out of ideas. I think they are. They might be right out of luck, too. This is Talk TV. Online, on DAB+, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good afternoon and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Hopefully you've been here for the previous two hours. Coming up at one o'clock, uh, it's Nick Dubois, uh, I believe, is in for Ian Collins. Uh, of course, Kevin O'Sullivan is going to be filling in for me next week as I sashay my way around the continent of Europe. Well, possibly. Um, if indeed I could follow in the footsteps of Simon Calder, I would be a very lucky man. Uh, he's taking a bus to Brussels. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? That's what he's saying. Um, let me read you this, because there's nothing better than the travails and the travels of Mr Simon Calder, who's today going to be operating as our Brexit correspondent uh, down at the port of Dover. The mood on board has darkened since crossing the River Medway, he says, which coincided with somebody opening an overpoweringly pungent snack, which seems to be infused with weapons-grade garlic. These are the troubles of, of travelling uh, on public transport, which I very rarely do. Uh, but let's find out now from Simon Calder, who I think is currently on a coach at Dover going through... The immigration process, or the emigration process, you might say. Simon, a very good uh, afternoon to you. Welcome. Mike, what an absolute pleasure to talk <laughs> to you, not least because I am, let me just um, open that for your uh, lovely viewers. I am now in the port of Dover. We are actually, we got through passport control for France in eight minutes Brilliant. flat. I had a stopwatch on it. And I'll tell you how we did it. The French have sent over extra people to help. They had uh, an officer, as soon as he went in, um, just saying, OK, go over there, go over there. Obviously, the um, uh, EU cube was moving much quicker, but they actually called me out and said, um, come over here. Um, really quick. Well, surely process. you should, as a, as a Ramona, you should go through the EU queue, shouldn't you? You should get special uh, dispensation for you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, it is quite extraordinary. We're now going to check in. And um, apparently we've got to have all our passports checked again. Um but uh, that, that's actually due to be leaving the UK. But frankly, I am amazed. I've been going for three hours now from London. Yeah. I'd um, followed all the advice. Um, we're now going backwards, which is always worrying. <laughs> like, like, the journey. Um, but I followed all the advice to um, uh, make sure that um, the... Uh, that I had supplies, entertainment. Obviously, your show is um, uh, quite sufficient for that. Thank you. Um, and um, to be ex expect a three-hour wait. Well, it hasn't happened like that at all. Right. So I'm now on the um, on the bus. I paid sixty quid for it. My That's a lot, isn't it, for I'm a bus? To... Well, yeah, but um, you try getting a flight. Um, Eurostar to Brussels is wanting at least twice as much as that, mm. maybe three times as much. And lots of very happy people on my. Um, my bus with me um apart from the and i haven't identified him or her yet right. the uh, garlic eating person yes. um, what, what do you suspect the uh, noxious substance actually was well i assume it was last night's chicken kiev but who ah, knows frankly right. we, we, you can't tell see um, people however, see i would say one of the rules on a bus is that you shouldn't be allowed to eat oh yeah hey? no, I, I couldn't agree more yeah um, you know drinking you water what, is fine but no eating yeah, but I tell you what, they are giving out snacks. They're mm. used to this, so they've given us all a bottle of water, um, a Kit Kat, uh, some odd 
um, Belgian uh, confectionery, but oh, yeah. I mean they're very, very much looking after it. Uh, Hussein is our excellent driver. He keeps making announcements in French, which is distressing. Yeah. He said something about Greve in Calais. Oh, yeah. uh, Greve, of course, being I know enough French to know that that's a strike. Um, but uh, <laughs> well, honestly, I mean, it's not going too badly at all. Yeah, well, I noticed that last night um, they set fire to Emmanuel Macron's favourite restaurant, La Rotonde, uh, in Paris. Yes. And they they targeted it because that's where he had his celebration party last time he won the election. So, I mean, yeah. you're a very brave man going anywhere near that part of the world. But I'm joining you, I'll be uh, sorry to tell you, uh, tomorrow I'll be travelling across uh, to France. But I'm going on the old shuttle. Uh, which I'm told yes. is uh, is not hopefully as badly backed up as Dover. Although from what you're saying today, yep. they seem to have fixed the Brexit-related problems from last weekend. Uh, well, they they are absolutely doing all they can to get people through, which is terrific. Um, yeah, I, we we came past the Euro Tunnel. They were actually putting out the bunting. I managed to grab a word, and they said, "Yeah, Mike Graham is coming down tomorrow, <laughs> so we're uh, clearing things up." But uh, no, um, I mean. Compared with the misery last week, when of course you know anybody would have accepted a, 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 you know, a wait of two or three hours, people were waiting twelve, sixteen, maybe twenty-four hours um, stuck in. Oh, it in must queues. have been awful. And, uh, I can't imagine how dreadful yeah. that would have been. Yeah. Now, I mean, I think things possibly will hot up because obviously, you know, if, if, if there's people leaving the Midlands or the West of England or right. Northwest or Wales or whatever, then they are probably not going to be here yet. And so things could get busy this afternoon. Yes. Um, but uh, in terms of what I've been expecting, it's uh, it's going pretty well. And um, actually, the rest of the bank holiday travel seems, from what I've been able to catch up on, um, is uh, also proceeding. Yes. Um, well, I can well tell you from just from my from my own localised London centric view, it was, the traffic yesterday afternoon was absolutely horrendous. Um, and this morning, London is literally like a ghost town. So everybody, I think, who was leaving has gone and went yesterday. Oh, well, that, that is encouraging. Um, middle of the day, so from about now onwards till four o'clock is when they're expecting the uh, really serious uh, delays on the western half, the um, semicircle of the uh, M25 around London, yes. uh, on the M5 southbound from uh, Bristol towards Devon, and of uh, course uh, going north on the m6 from roughly the uh, uh the, the liverpool manchester area oh hang on we've got an announcement coming in i oh, think go on. um uh, well yeah, yeah. 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 It, it's a Belgian bus, so their bus, their rules. Um, so uh, you can't expect anything in English. Um, but I, I think passport. So I think either either we have to um, uh, get off the bus and hand in our passports again, or Monsieur, he looks as though yeah, Hussein, the driver, very good man, is coming around and picking yes. up passports. Well, I was told um, uh, we had a coach driver uh, who called us up the other day, and he said that there's a two-stage process that uh, the G4S will take your passports while you're still in the sort of cruising area of, of the British side. And then you go into the shed, as he recalled, as he called it, where the French will wait for you, where they will then look at them. And that supposedly only takes about five minutes, he said. But then the problem is that apparently they're very keen after that to have a rest, the French, because, uh, you know, obviously it's very tiring. So they take a sort of a break every between every coach that they see, which is partly why things take such a long time. Uh, absolutely not the case. I was the last one, obviously, going through. Oh, here we are, Hussein, 
collecting passports, so I'm going to have to um, uh, give papers. you mine. Papers. Give us your papers. Yeah, hang on, hang on. What have I done with it? This is the EU oh, super state you're dealing with now. You know, <laughs> if it wasn't for the oh, fact it, that they're so administratively, yeah. um, you know, tra- challenged, ah. you'd be all right. Um, there we are. Yeah, uh, that's well, it. No, yeah. Um, no, I'm sorry, we can't let you Kit in. Kit Kat pops, they are. <laughs> Here we are. No, I just need to get a picture of you with your excellent... Yeah, you're as well. You're not going to be being on, being on this country, sir. That's as well. You're not going to be the FDS, you have the... Oh, that's very good. Yes, yes. So, DFDS, very this good. This is super. So, uh, hit me. Oh, no. This is, like a, this is like a, well, it's like we're in our own reality show, Simon. It's brilliant. <laughs> you know, travels with Simon Cole. I must say, um, it's very generous of you to take, to give up your Easter weekend for your viewers and listeners and readers. That you're, you're actually going on a journey where people can follow you all the way to Brussels, right? Uh, well, that, that, who knows if I'm going to Brussels? Uh, Mike, I've got exactly no idea how I'm going to catch back. Given all the chaos last weekend, I am not going to book a train back from Lille or right. from Brussels or a flight or anything else. And I may jump ship at Calais if I, if, I, if won't I get come out straight of the back. bus and then come back. Now, uh, of course, people are going to say, hang on, matey, you haven't got a car. And they don't take foot passengers um, on Friday afternoons, Why which not? is all true, because um, uh, there's no money in foot passengers. That's they just ridiculous. get in the way, basically. That's bonkers, but isn't it? I do have a secret weapon in the shape of a folding bicycle. Ah. So I can, if I extract from Hussein my folding bike, right. I will then become a, a, a cycling passenger and I can come back on a ferry. Right. Or you could, always but, try, but, you could always try stowing away on a lorry, because nobody does that anymore. They wouldn't expect it. <laughs> Michael, that is really uncalled for. What do you mean? Um, okay. Um, um, <laughs> look, the, the other thing is that I've just been told by DFDS um, that the, um, uh, the, 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 the there is a queue of sixty to ninety minutes coming back. Oh, really? Um, through Calais, yeah. Um, okay. Which uh, which is interesting. Um, I presume those are the people who went over last week, and they're all now coming back. So I will try and find out about that. Yes. But meanwhile, it's a happy bus, as you can tell. The saying the driver is very popular amongst his um, excellent passengers. He's re- recruited a young lad to hand out more chocolate and more water. I mean, frankly, if you know, it's difficult to define living the dream. Yes. But I think you'd be um, hard pressed to, to look much further than this. Yes. Well, if you de- if you get terribly badly stuck, you know, I might be able to find some room at my rented gaff for you, um, not a million miles oh, away lovely. from the uh, uh, from the D Day beaches. Well, um, you you are a connoisseur of uh, northern France, which um, absolutely so many people overlook. A gorgeous, gorgeous part. It is of a world. lovely part. Although of the world. I, have, I have noticed they do speak French. Yes, well, well, luckily I speak a bit of French. It, it always improves yeah. with, with every day that I'm there. I, I remember new words that just come out of my mouth that I learned when I was in second form, and I don't know why I even know them. But you know, there we are. But listen, great to see you. Um, enjoy the uh, the journey, however it ends up, and uh, we'll see you soon on your return. Uh, Simon Calder there on his journey across the Channel. Uh, he says he might not be able to get back. Why wouldn't they take foot passengers? What's wrong with them? That's ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, take up no space whatsoever. Just walk on. But of course, we all know there is the most efficient way of getting here. Uh, he's not on a ferry uh, or a train or even a plane. You know what I mean. This is Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So Joe Biden will visit Northern Ireland and the, and the Republic uh, down in Dublin next week, uh, which is the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. Lord Moylan, very good afternoon to you. 
Good afternoon, Mark. Thank you so much for joining us. I mean, a very historic time, uh, the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. Joe Biden, who's decided he's not coming to the coronation, but fancies going to Belfast. I'm sure we can all imagine why. Um, it's quite a significant visit, I suppose. But, but is it more for his own sort of self-aggrandisement than it is for ours? Well, I think it's a very good thing that the President of the United States is having an official visit to Ireland, and um, I'm sure that's great. What I don't understand entirely is why Northern Ireland is being hooked into that, because the visual image it sends is that Northern Ireland is really just a part of Ireland. Mm. Northern Ireland is, under the Good Friday Agreement, Northern Ireland is part of the United Kingdom. It's part of the United Kingdom until the people of Northern Ireland vote otherwise. Yeah. There is no sign that they are going to vote to leave the United Kingdom. There's no evidence for that at all. And in fact, even Sinn Féin isn't calling for a, a border poll because presumably, I imagine, because they know, know that they wouldn't win. Mm. So I think that he should have visited Northern Ireland as part of a visit to the United Kingdom which he isn't, in fact, making. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's rather weak of the government to have allowed these, this to go ahead in this way that gives very much the wrong signals. Yes. I mean, I suppose it's difficult when you're the, in the government situation because if he was going to come to Dublin and then didn't go to Belfast, that might also be con construed as a, as a kind of a bit of a snub to, to the UK. Well, then he might, he might have come and made a, a joint, not a joint visit, but one visit after another, mm come to visit Ireland and come on an official visit or a state visit, whichever it is, to the United Kingdom as well. And he could have got to the United Kingdom via Belfast. Yes. And that's absolutely fine. But um, the way it looks at the moment, it's playing into this narrative that, nor that I think some people in the British government are quite happy with, mm. that Northern Ireland isn't really part of the United Kingdom. It's really part of Ireland. And the sooner we get rid of it, the better. And you can have that view, but it doesn't fit with what the Good Friday Agreement says, which is that it's not a matter for the British government to decide. It's a matter for the people of Northern Ireland right. to decide in a vote. And and we should be sticking up for that and ensuring that they have their say. But it does, not, it does show how sort of complex Northern Ireland is, though, doesn't it? Because, of course, the, the people who are in favour of staying in the EU say, well, we voted to remain in the EU uh, in Northern Ireland. And that's why um, perhaps um, when... Rishi Sunak went there, he was busy telling them all how great it was that they could be in the single market of the European Union as well as being in the British single market, which kind of uh, rather kiboshed his own plan. Well, there's a distinction of some importance there, Mike. They didn't vote to stay in the EU because that question wasn't on the ballot paper. There was no question saying, should Northern Ireland stay in the EU? The question was whether the UK should remain in the EU or leave. Mm. And they voted for the UK to remain, and they didn't win. Um, I mean, there are lots of places in um, the United Kingdom that voted to remain, but they didn't win. London, for example. Yes. The majority of people voted to leave, and that's why, uh, and that's fully in accordance with European Union law. It's like saying uh, a union. You could well imagine a unionist in Northern Ireland, somebody who supported the union. I don't mean a member of a political party. Mm. I just mean supported the union said yeah I'm, I'm it suits me to stay in the eu and i'm voting to remain i never meant by that that i wanted to, to for northern ireland to remain yes. and stop being part of the united kingdom and be cut off from it mm. i never voted for that no i voted for the whole of the uk to remain 
I lost. I accept that vote. Now we should all leave. Mm. That's what the referendum was about. Sure. So this idea you were voting for Northern Ireland to remain in the EU is just wrong. Well, it's not wrong. It's a matter of interpretation, isn't it? Because, no, for example, well, it is in a way. On the ballot paper. Yeah, no, I get that. But I mean, if they were to ask the question a different way, we could only speculate on what would happen. But what we can do is we can say that the Tory party has certainly moved away from that position uh, because when the vote took place on the Windsor framework, there were very few people who voted with Boris Johnson in the Tory party, uh, which I would imagine was disappointing for him. Um, and most Tories voted for this particular sort of what I would regard as a rather halfway house solution to Northern Ireland, uh, because I'm more on, on your side on this than, than you probably think. You know, I don't think that, that this idea that they're in two different markets is the way that the vote should have ended up. You know, they should have been out of um, uh, the European Union, uh, as indeed is the rest of the UK. It's a matter of living under foreign laws in which you have no say, right. which is almost the definition of colonialism. Yes. And there's only one other place I can think of in modern Europe that lives in those circumstances, and that's the Donbass. Mm. It, is, it, is, it is living under foreign laws with no democratic say, and nothing in the Windsor framework has done anything to correct that. Mm. Um, so I agree with you. I think it's, um, I voted against it in the House of Lords. There were even fewer of us voting against yeah. it in the do you think it's a? Do you think it's just a matter of um, people becoming a bit bored with it all, and so they've just gone, "Oh, well, let's just sort it out." I think most conservatives want it to be the solution. They want to believe that this is the solution. The government said it was the solution. They'd like to believe that because they'd like the whole thing now quietly to go away, and we can forget about Ireland and or Northern Ireland at least um, as a problem and start concentrating on having better relations yeah. with um, our European partners and friends, as they call them, yes. which is the way many of them um, actually think. They're not very good partners or friends, though. That's the trouble. They've become quite hostile. Yes. Well, as we found uh, from our latest report from Dover, they've actually managed to put a few more people on uh, the French side of uh, checking passports. And today, apparently, it's taking hardly any time at all to get through the, the Dover passport control. So for all of those people who were moaning on about it being Brexit, it was just about the French not giving us enough people to take care of all the people going through. But one more final thing, um, just to ask you, Lord Moyland, before you go. Um, you've retweeted today uh, Lord Wolfson, um, who's had quite a bit to say about Rishi Sunak and this Labour Party attack ad, which is horrendous in my view, one of the worst pieces of political um, libel I think I've ever seen. What do you make of it? Well, it's amazing when you get John McDonnell, for example, in, your, in the Labour yeah. Party saying it's got to come down. I mean, a, an awful lot of Labour supporters, journalists and people like that, are demanding that it come down because they're sh so shocked by it as well. I retweeted Lord Wolfson because he's a very distinguished lawyer and he mm. made some very good points, which is that sentences are passed by judges according to the circumstances of the case within national guidelines, but the actual sentencing is done by judges. Mm. If there are cases when people commit crimes um, but don't get a jail sentence, Presumably that is because the judge, having looked at all the facts of that particular case, thinks that's the appropriate sentence. Um, there's nobody in government telling judges you've got to release or you've got to let so many people go. And to try and blame it on any politician um, is is just... Right. Well, it's, well it's, apart from anything else, it's wildly... It, it, someone who used to be director of public yeah. prosecution. 
Muslims. It's Keir Starmer. And he's, and he's gone very quiet on it today. I presume it's not because he's doing the Stations of the Cross. Um, I presume that he's just sort of lying low. But the bottom line is that even Twitter have put a correction out to say that the current sentencing guidelines for this crime has a maximum sentence of 14 years imprisonment. And, what, and, and to, to allude to the fact that, uh, that Rishi Sunak, as an individual, does not want convicted sex offenders to, uh, for, who've assaulted children from going to prison is an absolutely astonishing thing to say. Uh, it, I don't know where it came from. What amazes me is that they seem to be doubling down mm. on it. And they should, of course, have taken it down immediately, blamed a junior clerk, sacked somebody and pretended it never happened. Yeah, absolutely right. Lord Moylan, thank you very much indeed for your time. Good to talk to you. Uh, Lord Daniel Moylan, a Conservative peer, uh, on the problem that still persists in Northern Ireland, and that is that it's part of Europe, uh, the EU, that is, as well as being part of the UK. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 